And uh, every time we get to be with real life, I love it. And so when Eric called, I thought, man, this is great. I, not only do I get to be here on a Sunday morning, but I also get to open the good news. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd invite you to take those out and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And then I'm going to ask you something a little bit different. Um, once you've found Mark, I'm going to ask you to turn back with me to the book of Leviticus. I know it probably will fall right open because you're just used to doing your devotionals in the book of Leviticus. Uh, someone said one time the book of Leviticus is where New Year's resolutions go to die. <laughs> Take a second, you might get that, right? Like, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year and about... February, about this time of year, Leviticus happens, and then like, okay, it's over. Uh, so maybe we're picking up on a New Year's resolution this morning. Mark uh, 10, if you have that, and then we're going to begin looking together at Leviticus 19. Now, why Leviticus 19? Well, because um, this is one of the massive passages where we have to focus our attention on margin. I know that your pastor's been taking you through a series on margin, and I am thrilled to be able to, in some sense, step into that series with hopefully not disrupting it, and to look at the origin of this notion of margins. Why is it that we are talking as a church about margins and leaving a margin at the edge of our life when it comes to all kinds of different things? Well, mainly because of Le Leviticus 19. So look with me here at Levit Leviticus 19. Uh, starting here at verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Do not turn to idols and make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord, your God. And then if you could jump with me down to verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord, your God. Now, this is where we begin to pick up this notion of margins, leaving space at the edges. You probably know that the command that God gives the people of Israel to only harvest from the middle of their fields is this notion where foreigners, strangers, people who couldn't necessarily afford to buy food or didn't have food for a journey could find food on the edges. I love this, this notion here. Don't just harvest the edges and leave the middle. Don't even make them walk into the middle of the field. Leave it right where they can get it. Leave that margin at the edge of your life. And so we begin to see here in Leviticus that what God is asking the people to do is to leave a margin on their fields, to leave a margin in their time. Did you notice keeping the Sabbath? To leave all kinds of margins. And the thing I want us to recognize here is that this isn't just because it's a neat thing to do. I mean, it is good, right? Maybe we could agree this is a good thing for people to do. But did you see the way this passage begins? It's not just that God says to the people, hey, you know what would be really neat? It would be really good if you could leave a margin on your fields and on your time. That would just be a good thing for you to do. But look at the way that this all begins. Speak to the entire assembly and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. 
And then we begin to get all of these, these kind of prescriptions of what it means to live as a holy people. Now, I have to confess to you today that if I were writing the book of Leviticus, if I were speaking for God in this particular instance, and if I were to say, okay, people of God, it's time to be holy, I probably would not have chosen these things to kind of live out their holiness. Does that make sense? I mean, follow me on this? I mean, the, the first thing, respect your father and mother. Like, I like my mom and dad, I do. But that's the first thing out of the chute, really? And then you get down to leaving something at the edge of your vineyard and the edges of your field so that other people can cut. Like, what, what is God doing here? And as we continue on through all of these prescriptions that God gives to the people in terms of the way that they're going to live out their holiness, we begin to recognize that none of this is here just because God thinks this is neat. This is how a holy people of God is supposed to live out their holiness. Interesting stuff. One of the most interesting ones comes a little bit further in chapter 19. Um, I mean, these are some that might seem fairly obvious to us. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of the Lord your God. Uh, Do not defraud your neighbors and rob them. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. And then verse 14, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. This isn't just neat things to do. This is part of what it means to live as God's holy people. Part of what it means for God to call a people, this kind of ragtag, ragamuffin band of people, a slave race that really had no real power in the world and to make them into something that was going to transform the world. And this is what God asks them to do? This notion of margin, leaving the margins to feel, but then also this notion of not cursing the deaf and not putting a stumbling block in front of a blind person began to remind me as I read over this this week of another story. That's the one in Mark 10. So if you, you still have your marker there in Mark 10, turn with me and let's look together at what happens here in Mark 10. Story of a blind man, but we're not going to get there just yet. Look with me at Mark 10 starting here at verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. And so they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus responds to them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But not with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. There are a lot of reasons I love Mark's gospel. A lot of reasons to love Mark's gospel. It's so much fun to kind of walk with Jesus on this breathless journey. If you read through Mark's gospel, you pick up very quickly that Jesus is always on the move. He's always on the way. He's always on the road and he rarely takes breaks for any purpose at all. But one of the things I love the most about Mark's gospel is the way that Mark will take stories and he will put them right next to one another for the sake of comparison. And I think what Mark is after here is us encountering these stories and putting them together and saying, one of these things is not like the other. And what do we do with the differences that are here? How do those differences potentially challenge our understanding of who Jesus is and the way that we are able to follow Jesus? So there are a lot of ways we could compare these two stories. The story of James and John coming to Jesus and saying, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And then this story of Bartimaeus who's begging by the roadside. We could compare lots of different things about them. And I think Mark has constructed them in such a way that they really, really, really want to be compared. But here I think is where I'd like to go with this today. It's to compare the margin of imagination. To, to look at these two stories and ask, what kinds of imaginations did these characters have? James and John and then Bartimaeus. What kind of imaginations did they have? And are they capable of leaving margins at their, the edges of their imagination? Now, when I say imagination, I don't just mean imaginary. I'm not just trying to say here that they're making something up or this is kind of make-believe or anything along those lines. When I say imagination, I'm talking about the capacity for seeing a reality that isn't being crowded out by the immediate reality in the center of their life. In other words, most of us kind of live our lives with all these immediate realities right in front of our face, and there are things that we have to do. Like this morning, I wake up, and my wife is off in California. She's preaching this morning at some retreat um, with hot springs, um, but it's okay. I love Murfreesboro, and she's there, and, and so I'm getting kids dressed, and they've got all their requests, and they didn't really sleep well in the night. There are immediate realities and if we're not careful, we can have those immediate realities crowd out everything from the middle right here in front of our face and extinguish the margins of imagination. So we can't even sometimes imagine what could be possible because we are so filled with the immediate realities of the life in front of us. When I look at James and John, part of what I'm seeing here is an extinguishing of the imagination. Do you want to know why? Because look at the way they begin this conversation, which is really a bad way. Can I just, like, this is just, okay, this is bonus for free. This is a terrible way <laughs> to get something that you want from someone. Just on its face. Here it is. They walk up to Jesus. Teacher, 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Um, I am a teacher. It will not end well if a conversation begins like this, okay? If someone walks up to me, and by the way, my inbox and my, my email is like filled with these. Um, like, here's some things we want, but like if someone walks up and says, it's nice to meet you, we're gonna have a great semester as long as you do for me whatever I ask you to do. Things are not going to end well, friends. Terrible way to begin the conversation. But look at what it is that they're actually hoping for here. Jesus, I mean, he's a much more patient teacher than I think I could ever be, but he responds to them, okay, what is it that you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to sit at your right and your left when you come into your glory. And Jesus, being gracious and kind, basically responds, are you sure you want that? Are you sure you know what you're asking for? And this is a motif in Mark's gospel all the way through where, where people come to Jesus and they think that Jesus is doing something and Jesus is actually doing something that they could never, here it is, imagine. The gospel is exploding their expectations and exploding their imagination. Hopefully, they are re- leaving some margin on the side of their imagination for who God is and what God does and the way that Jesus is bringing what God is doing on earth but their imagination is being extinguished. The margins are being excluded and extinguished. Why? Because all they can seem to see is the middle of the stuff that they are experiencing. We want to sit on your right and your left when you come into your glory. Now, what does that mean? For these guys, these are good Jewish boys living in uh, basically uh, kind of Galilee and those areas and in kind of ancient uh, Israel, Palestine, where in those days, we are basically under Roman rule, okay? So these are good Jewish boys who have, from the time they were babies, been hearing their parents and their grandparents talk about their ancestors and their kings, right? When David was on the throne, life was good for Israel. We had everything that we needed. We got to worship. We got to be the distinctive people of God that God has called us to be. And then the Romans, right? Like there were a bunch of other people between them, but the Romans, now we're living under this like occupied uh, 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 kind of like rule, like they kind of let us do what we need to do, but there's this foreign governing force and we don't like the way that they govern us. If they would just leave us alone and go back to Rome, then we could be the distinctive people of God again. So when people like James and John see someone like Jesus and he's coming along with all of this power and he's getting all this, gaining all this popularity, I think part of what they're doing is taking the immediacy of their political situation and going, ding, 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 this is the guy. He's the one who's gonna come and kick the Romans out and restore Israel to what it's really supposed to be. He's the one who's gonna be the new king. Swords come out, like Jesus can do this thing, right? So when they come to Jesus, they come and they say, when you come into your glory, when you kick out the Romans, when you can destroy everything that has been destroying us and holding us down into oppression, I want a position in your cabinet. They're advocating for cabinet secretary positions. Does this sound at all familiar, right? I mean, as we kind of live in our political climate today, You see kind of political operatives surveying the field, who's the most likely candidate to be able to gain, like, I'm going to align myself in hopes of a cabinet position, right? Something along those lines. How can I attach myself to their coattails to find myself in a position of power? And Jesus looks at them and goes, do you even know what you're asking for? Your imagination has no margin. 
You're just taking the reality that's in front of you. By the way, the reality is not being given to you by God, but by this kind of like notion of overcoming the Romans according to the way Romans rule life, right? The Pax Romana, for those of you who remember high school world history. That they come and they're going to establish the world rule through power and might, just like they're expecting Jesus to do here. And part of what Jesus is saying, that's not me. That's not the way I'm going to do this thing. Do you really want to drink the cup that I'm going to drink or be baptized? And I love their confidence. Yes, we do. Absolutely right. And Jesus basically looks at them and says, you have no idea what you're asking for. No margin for imagination because I think part of what's taking place here is that when they look at Jesus, they can't even see what he's trying to do, the way that he's trying to do it. The passage right before this is Jesus predicting his death. Now, I'm not here to beat up on James and John, and here's why. Because I think I suffer from the same thing that they do. There's so many times when I just am convinced I wish I could see Jesus in the way that Jesus is acting, but all of my immediacy and my expectations, my hopes, and the things that I think Jesus is about crowd out the margins of my imagination, and then I get a very different, very non-Jesus kind of imagination that's functioning there. Bartimaeus, though, is different. That's why I love the way Mark puts these passages together. Look at the way Bartimaeus begins the conversation. Look at the way that these conversations begin so differently. Bartimaeus is a blind man who is begging on the side of the road, and when he hears Jesus coming by, all he says is, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. A little bit different than, hey, do for us whatever we ask of you. You you see the difference here, right? Bartimaeus is saying, there's Jesus. Jesus can do something, and I don't know what Jesus can do, but I want Jesus to do it on Jesus' terms. So the difference here, I think, is that whereas the disciples, James and John, they come to Jesus and say, we've got this very clear idea, this imagination of what it is that you're doing, what you're about, and we want you to do that for us. The difference here is that Bartimaeus comes and says, whatever you are going to do, Jesus, just do it to me. Just do it to me. I'm standing off here on the side of the road and I am begging, just do it to me. Whatever it is that you need to do. And what I see in Bartimaeus' imagination is this wide margin to allow Jesus to be who Jesus is going to be and allow Jesus to do what Jesus is going to do. Allow Jesus to transform Bartimaeus according to whatever it is that Jesus is going to need to make Bartimaeus into. And the passage continues in this way that just fascinates me and leaves me inspired because look at the way that the people begin to treat Bartimaeus. 48, many rebuked him and said to him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Does that sound familiar? Telling a blind man to be quiet when Jesus is walking by, to me, that reminds me of Leviticus where God had said generations earlier to this group of people, the good Jewish people living in Jericho, this is Jewish territory, this is inside the promised land now, generations earlier God had said to their ancestors, don't do this to blind people. 
Don't hold them back from the grace that I have for them. Give them this wide margin. And do you know what Jesus seems to do all the way through Mark's gospel? This is what's so fascinating to me. He continues to like walk on his way. He's always on the move in Mark's gospel. He's always going somewhere. He's always kind of moving at, at breakneck speed. And the only time that Jesus really stops in Mark's gospel are for people on the margins. Jesus stopped, it says in verse 49. That's a big deal for Mark's gospel. Jesus doesn't stop for just anybody, but Jesus stops for Bartimaeus. And what I see Jesus doing here is saying to the crowd, call him, and look at the way that the crowd turns their imagination. So the crowd called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Do you see what Jesus just did to the crowd here? He's taken them from being a people who are doing exactly what God asked them not to do in Leviticus and turning them into a people who are giving a wide welcome to someone on the margins. Jesus is restoring what it means for this group of people to be the holy people of God just by stopping and looking at this blind man and saying, could you stop putting a block in front of him and just call him over to me? It, it, it amazes me what could potentially happen with a group of people when we kind of get out of our own imaginations and listen to what Jesus is asking us to do. And do you know what happens as we begin to do what Jesus is asking us to do? Our own holiness begins to be restored. We get to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. And not just for some kind of like accolade for ourselves, so that we have a purpose in this world to do something profound and significant. Why? Not because it's us, but because we are following the instructions of Jesus. So I love the way that Jesus is even able to turn the crowd and say, stop living against the kind of holiness that you are supposed to live. Now live this real holy life by, by removing the stumbling block in front of this blind man. Let him come to me. And throwing his cloak aside, Bartimaeus jumps up to his feet and he comes to Jesus. And then we have this in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. If that sounds familiar, that's great. It's the very same question that he asked James and John. The very same wording. I think Mark's trying to teach us something here. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. You know what the irony of this is? <laughs> the blind man can see before he even asks. The irony of this is that Bartimaeus, whose eyes don't work, seems to have a marginal imagination where he is imagining a world in which he doesn't have expectations for Jesus. He's going to let Jesus define those expectations and press in so that a reality that did not yet exist possibly could. Friends, I, I think that the church, just kind of the general church and we could say the U.S., North America, the world. I mean, we've got some challenges, don't we? We've got some challenges in front of us. But I think one of the most significant challenges that we have is when we allow our imagination to be extinguished because we're so consumed with what we expect Jesus to be and the way that we expect Jesus to, ask, uh, to act. 
I'm wondering if this passage could, partic- could particularly challenge us in this area today to say, what if we have an imagination with wide margins on it? What if our imagination could say, we may not know what Jesus is going to do, and we're not going to try to place our expectations upon Jesus. We're simply going to call out, have mercy on us. Do whatever it is that you're going to do with us and allow a new reality to break out that we couldn't have even imagined for ourselves. And what does Jesus do? Get up. Your faith has already made you well. And Bartimaeus gets up and he follows him along the way, which is also very significant for Mark. Bartimaeus gets up and he begins to walk the way of Jesus. Friends, my prayer for us today is that we can have the kind of imagination of a blind man. We may not be able to see where Jesus is going to take us, and that, in some ways, is the greatest gift. That we're not coming to Jesus saying, here's the list of everything that I want you to do for me, but simply have mercy, do what you want to with me. I'm leaving a margin on my imagination. I'm leaving a margin in the way that I think about you, Jesus. I'm leaving a margin in the way that I think about God's activity in the world. Just do something to us. And imagine the possibilities of what God could do with the people who have margins on their imagination, who haven't predetermined what it is that Jesus is supposed to do or how Jesus is supposed to act. What would it be like What could the church be? What could the church do if this is who we are? And so Jesus, we want to grant you permission today to transform our imaginations. We thank you for the challenge of this word to us. We thank you for the challenge of your gospel. We thank you for the way that you can take us and that you can give us hope Father, we confess that we often come to you with our hopes and our expectations intact, and we're going to tell you what it is that you need to do for us. But we thank you for the hope that we find in this passage today, that even disciples who come to you expecting with little margin on our imaginations can have their hope renewed. Father, we ask you to make us like Bartimaeus today. We ask you to have mercy on us, to transform us in whatever way you want to, in whatever way you need to. Forgive us for the times that we crowd the margins of our imagination and forgive us for the times that we cannot see you, cannot understand who you are because of the way that we have filled our imaginations with our own immediacy. Transform us, O God, we pray transform us, that we might go into the world as people of imagination, as people of hope, as people who have had a living encounter with you, because all we've cried out to you is have mercy on us. So send us forth, we ask, with the words of your son ringing in our ear, with his blessing to get up and go because our faith has made us well. Give us faith to trust you. Give us faith to have an imagination with margins. And give us faith to get up and follow you on the way. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Wonderful to be together. Go in peace.